0: I am so excited to share today's podcast with you. My guest is artist and entrepreneur Eric Brief, also my husband. He hasn't been back on for quite a while, and in this episode we go deeper than we probably have ever gone before, and I even learned some things that he hasn't shared off the record with me. We talk about his winding path to admitting to himself and the world that he is an artist, We talk about entrepreneurship, pyramids, origami, social media, and some dynamics of our relationship and how they nourish all the different things that we do in the world. Eric has also been a guest on episode 74, where we talked about going nomadic, 129, where we shared all about the tiny cabin renovation, and episode 87 all about crystals, back when we were deep into the Crystal Criminals account, which still exists, we just haven't updated it in a while. It's this really beautiful and powerful collection of crystal grids, all brought into the world by Eric and shared with channeled messages that come with each one of them. This is the longest interview I have recorded to date, so get cozy and enjoy this conversation with Eric Brief. I'm so excited to share with you that my number one podcasting tool since day one of this podcast, Zencaster, is sponsoring this episode. Check out the link in the show notes and stay tuned for why I love using it for the podcast. Eric Brief, welcome back to the Xenia Brief podcast, your first time Back on since the name has changed and now it carries your name. So I want to congratulate you on that. And I
1: thank you, yes.
0: <laughs> I also want to congratulate you on completing the 11 day challenge of daily art updates that we teamed up on to share your crazy art processes on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube, all of the social media capturing your making sculptures, folding paper. Uh, jamming out to your favorite music bands in the background. And I want to start right there. What's that journey been like? And what prompted us to team up and capture all that content and to show up consistently? Because you're someone who's had a love-hate relationship with social media over the years. And when you met me five years ago, you didn't even know that there were captions on Instagram. You thought it's just pictures. So... I blew your world that way.
1: Oh, I've had Instagram since 2011 or 2012, to be clear. I did not know captions existed. And once I did know they existed, I thought they were like one-liners. So I remember when I saw one of your posts, when I, I, had, but I had no idea who you were. I know you researched me before our first date and everything like that. I had no idea. I didn't, I don't do that. So I just walked in. <laughs> <laughs> and then after you're like, I said something about Instagram or a couple dates in. And I looked at it. I remember looking at this photograph and then there was all this text there. I was like, there's a freaking essay under this photograph. Because <laughs> I was always so confused. Like, how are all these people following you? Like, what do they like about you so much? Like, all they see is a picture. You don't hold up a sign with words on it.
0: <laughs> so now you're the guy writing essays under your Instagram posts. A few months ago, I think it was end of August, where we shared your origami for real for the first time and we sat down and I prompted you to truly just tap into your heart and to write those captions and to allow people to go on that journey with you, a journey of your creativity that you've been on since you were born. And for me, it's just so fun and such an honor to be the person who's holding that space with you, who's capturing it, who's editing it, being in my zone of genius, you know, translating the invisible frequencies into images, into videos, into messages for people to tap into their own truth and just capture your crazy.
1: What do you mean when you say that? Tell me more. What do you mean? The word crazy.
0: To me, I mean it in in a way that you truly allow your craziest, biggest, wildest, unleashed creative visions exist as reality when you're thinking about whether that's an art project or a trip or how we're going to do our wedding or how we're going to renovate our house, it never comes from what's possible or from what's normal, what's been done before. But what I've observed, it comes from just the total complete opposite end of that, which is anything is possible. Let's go crazy. Let's have fun. How far can we push this?
1: Yeah. Well, how far can we push this is definitely something I've always done my entire life. That's a theme from the beginning. But you're asking about the social media thing and what this 11 day challenge has been like. Before I answer that, I do want to say that what makes the art quote unquote crazy, I think that is a good word, is because it is outside of the realm of thinking. It's more like I have an idea and I'm going to start doing it right now before I talk myself out of it or before I consider how hard it's going to be and how long it's going to take. Because if I were to have thought about how much time my sculptures and my or my origami sculptures and all the layers and steps, how many hours, it takes so many hours, I would never have started because it's such an ordeal. It's incredible. But once I get in and I start making it, it's all about the process. You know, when I'm not making art, it's not that I want my projects to be done. It's that I want to be working on them. It's the working on the project, working in a vision, toward a vision, with a vision, it's the part that gets me so excited when I love so much. The idea is just a vehicle to be doing the stuff.
0: And what I find to be really entertaining is that a lot of the times you will get really frustrated when something doesn't go the way you expected it to, or you're doing something brand new and you're experimenting and there's just nothing to know ahead of time. And you get so frustrated and you share it with me when in reality, I know that You love being in that unknown. You love creating something brand new. And the only place from which we can create something brand new is that unknown. And you're someone who thrives in that, even if it's uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, I guess I do enjoy that not knowing. Typically, I say this when I'm working on a project, when I want to destroy it and throw it out and forget about the whole thing and start on something new. That's like right when I'm about to have a huge breakthrough. It's just considered to be like a part of the process. Lately, I haven't had those. Like I want to destroy this thing for a while. Let's reflect on the social media thing because for me, it's really important. The first thing is that it's not that I have a love-hate relationship with social media. It's that I really like to make the work. And then once I'm done making the work, the experience is done for me. So when it comes to the social media part about documenting it while it's happening and then creating the video and the sound, it just seems like too much for me. I'm like, I already just did all this artwork. I poured my heart and soul into making this. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. The only reason why I've stopped in the first place is because I can't go on any longer. <laughs> and once I'm done, I don't really have any interest in reflecting on it and putting the other videos and sounds just feels like I want to have a rest. And I never felt like I could do social media and put my whole heart into it because I have nothing left in the tank by the time I'm done. And then the moment I'm not exhausted, I want to go back to making <laughs> artwork. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, totally. I think it's a conundrum that comes up for a lot of people. How do you draw the line between being present in the moment, and documenting it. And I think that balance looks very different for everyone. And some of us are more wired to identify trends and identify best ways to edit content and share it and, you know, different ways to put together, whether that's photo or video, whatever that is. And some of us just don't enjoy it. And I think one of the most powerful things that people can do is to admit to themselves that if social media is not their thing, if editing the content, responding to comments and all of that is just not something that can expand their energy instead of bringing it down, maybe that's an area where you can receive help.
1: Like from a wife. <laughs> I a mean. A professional social media person.
0: You have the perfect setup. Um, I do.
1: It wasn't an accident either. Oh, really? Well, yeah, we work together well. That's why we're married, I think.
0: I would hope Is there so. Is another
1: reason? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't mind documenting my work, taking videos, taking pictures. I enjoy it. But it's the putting it together into a package part that bothers me. And then the fact that I did all this work, and then someone might not like I might not get the reception that I deserve. I, I don't know. That sounds so ridiculous. Mm. But I, know I don't that, think it's yeah.
0: ridiculous. I think it's part of being an artist is sharing your heart. And I think it's very vulnerable to share your work, whether that's a poem, a piece of art, or a course, and creating content, speaking about it, and sharing it is another layer of it so it's almost as if you're deepening that vulnerability and standing in the middle of a square for everyone to look at your heart so i can totally see how it would feel that way
1: it totally does but i'm so glad you brought up poetry because i have a a series that i wrote in 2016 and it was very easy to post it i just said this is a poem that i wrote and i wrote a bunch of poems over the course of like a month or so two months and it was so easy. I just posted them. There was no like edit on, on Facebook at the time. And it was just really simple. All I did was I posted it and it didn't take any post-production, if you will. It's the post-production that mm. bothers me. <laughs> because the art that I make, right? I was already going to write that poem. I didn't write it for the internet. In fact, like, it was very intimate for me to share it with the internet. So for me, I wouldn't already be making content and great videos. I would already be making my artwork whether it was shit or not because I make it because I have to because I love it. It's an expression of myself. So that's the difference is that I see people's content on social media. I think people make beautiful things. They make beautiful TikToks and videos and photographs that they stage and all of those things. They're amazing. They're just not things that I naturally am inclined to want to do for one reason or another. And when I see other people's quality content, I want my content to be that good, too, because I'm, I'm not just competitive, might not be the right word, but I like to have my content looking good. And sometimes if I feel like I can't make it look good, why do it at all? Especially if I can't enjoy the process, then that's the thing, is if I don't enjoy the process, I won't do it. It's not just social media, it's just most things in life.
0: Sure, yes. And also, there is something so powerful in making this agreement with yourself and with your community, whether that's one person or a million people, to show up consistently without allowing perfection to take over. And I think that's one of the most powerful things that happened in those 11 days is there were a couple of days where you had a cold or something like that, and you just really weren't feeling well. And weren't generating art or ideas about the content. And yet, I made sure we sit down anyway. I go through some of the footage you already had on your phone and we post something. When there's this external accountability in place, there's this internal, I want to say pressure. But also, it feels more like the fire of aliveness and the fire of creativity that just propels you to show up and go outside the box and there's something really really powerful and you know I've had so many actually guests on the podcast who have shared that they have been wanting to get on YouTube for a long time and then they do a 30-day challenge with themselves where they post daily I think Megan Moon that's exactly what she did and her channel ended up taking off and a lot of things you know got a big amount of views and she built her community and I think it's just such a a great exercise to get out of our heads in all of the shoulds around content and capturing what we do, capturing our lifestyle, our offerings, the value that we bring, and just go and share what feels alive, what feels present, the first thing that comes to mind. I think it removes a lot of the filtering that we typically have in place around how we need to show up online.
1: So True. For some people, (laughs) because the more I'm listening to you talk and listening to me talk, the more I'm just like digging my heels in deeper on not wanting to do the production. I don't want to do it. In fact, I have built a successful business off of doing what I love doing and expanding, but not doing the things I don't want to do. So my business partner and I are a great team because I pretty much said I don't want to do the accounting I don't want to collect the money. I don't want to like write the emails. I don't want to do a bunch of other things I don't do. And I want you to do them. And I'll do the part that I'm best at. And we've done that. And we Which is the selling. And also, obviously, like the visionary nature of the business and, you know, figuring out the offers and marketing. We do that together. That's the part I want to do. And we built a really successful business that helps so many HVAC contractors, but I love what I'm doing. That is, I can't live, like me personally, I can't wake up in the morning and not be excited about my life. It's just not allowed.
0: I agree with you. And would you be willing to entertain a thought with me? Just one. (laughs) What if there was no post-production like the one that I put into everything would do, what if it was you filming a video up to 60 seconds in one take, and that's what you post? You don't research hashtags. You don't think about the caption. Literally, all you do is post one unedited raw video that captures what you're working on without gluing anything, putting text on top, nothing like that. Does that make it more feasible?
1: That's something I'd be willing to do. I could see myself doing that, yes.
0: All right. So I think it's all about just finding the content format that fits your lifestyle, that fits your joy, and how you want to spend your time. How I make content doesn't need to be how everyone else does it.
1: Yeah, but it's really good. Like, remember that thing we built a while ago, Crystal Criminals, right? It was me making the artwork and you taking the photographs and putting the right like packaging on it and like knowing how to post so it looks so beautiful. like It was just amazing like, formatting. I wanted to do that. It was so great.
0: It really was. Yeah, Crystal Criminals was an Instagram account that we ran together where Eric made the crystal grids. I actually just came across one as I was moving the Conscious Social Media program into Dropbox and I was just blown away. They're so powerful and we got so many messages about people using them as screensavers and it actually impacting their lives. There was someone who used a screenshot of the money grid and all this money showed up under their door. It was so cool. We were so connected to so many people at once. And just your ability to curate some of the most beautiful, unique crystals from all over the world that you've been building this collection for you know many years now and to pair them together and to create formations that the crystal world hadn't seen before it was super fun what happened to it
1: i stopped wanting to do it yeah i didn't stop loving crystals and i didn't certainly didn't stop loving working together with you i see what we're doing now as a natural extension of that this 11 day challenge has been so amazing it's been my love of creating and your love of curating and packaging and your little cute things that you do and the ideas and your your dexterity and your fluidity with integrating photos and videos and following themes that are already on social media and choosing sounds you just love doing it you're an artist let you do your art and let me do my art and we can make them together yeah I mean, like I said that's the team we're in so and that's what I do with my business partner in my in my business and doing uh, search engine optimization for hvac contractors so it's like i know that i'm working with my partner and our team they're the best at doing this one thing so i can sell the hell out of it because i know i've helped create a team that's going to do awesome it's mm. it. good
0: so the challenge the 11 days of art what did you learn what surprised you about that kind of level of showing up on social media and what did that reveal to you about your art and about yourself
1: well one of the things that just came to mind was how many things i make that i've never shown anybody <laughs> that like how many ideas i've made in the that have just died like projects and beautiful things things that i spent hundreds of hours on mm-hmm. developing That nobody has ever seen. This is pre-social media and post-social media.
0: Mm. Because what's ironic, I just want to quickly insert this here, because we've been sharing over the 11 days, mostly some new things you're working on. But the one that actually picked up and went viral on TikTok is a piece that you made months ago that you never shown anyone.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that piece was the result of over a year of working. And then the work I'm making now came directly from that work. So it all comes from like the same family tree, if you will. It all gets developed and it's non-linear. So I really like that. I really like the work. But what I also noticed, if I'm talking about what we're discovering in these 11 days, I noticed that the act of showing something is also a part of the creation. It's like a completion of the creation. It's so like, I say this is done, or I say this is, and now I'm showing it to you as a thing that I made. That There's power to that. It causes me to look at it differently, because the moment you tell me something like, oh, we need to photograph this, well, now I need to think about how it exists in the real world, because all of my artwork, it exists in my, in my mind's eye. I can see the thing before I do it. I can't see the full picture. I see just enough to take the next couple steps. It's like the Indiana Jones thing where he has to step into the invisible you know bridge that's there. Just, you know, <laughs> you can't see the floor, but you have to just take a step anyway. It's kind of like what all the art is. So I just think what makes When you said crazy, what makes my art crazy or good or whatever is that I'm willing to follow an idea blindly without knowing how to get there. And then over time, I've gotten really good at starting a project and then getting to the end without knowing what I'm doing. Just problem solving along the way. That's one of the most fun things. And one of the things I love most about, let's call it big origami, is that the dynamics of folding and sculpture change when you go from a small piece of paper that's three inch square to 12 inch square And you have hundreds of pieces of paper that you're folding together because the way that paper holds itself up at a three inch square is very different than paper holds it up for a 24 by 24 inch or 12 by 12 inch square. The dynamics completely change.
0: So how did this whole obsession with origami in the last couple of weeks lead you back to your passion for pyramids? Speaking of which, you're holding one on your lap right now. Yes. And you refused to start this podcast until I brought you some pyramid-charged water.
1: That's right, (laughs) ma'am. Well, this pyramid is also completely covered in crystals. Don't forget that. That's true. There must be, I don't know, 400 crystals on here or more. Little tiny crystals. Double-terminated crystals from... Baluchistan. So how I got back into pyramids.
0: Or maybe how you got into pyramids. Let's rewind. Well,
1: got back into pyramids is through you. Remember, you were listening, you were watching that uh Matias De Stefano podcast, Aubrey Marcus podcast. Then you became really into him, and you were, oh, he's explaining the dimension so well. You really like him. And I'm thinking, yeah, I already, you know, I've I've explored this, I've thought about this. My wife does the exact same thing. She's like, oh, I already know this. And I'm always like, oh, yeah, you know everything. And I remember hearing my own voice in my head as I said,
0: oh, I already know. I
1: don't know if I said it out loud, but I said it in my head. I and could then, feel
0: it. You didn't need to say it. Yeah.
1: And then in my head, I talked to the voice that was talking to me, telling me I already know this. I was like, oh, you really know this? And you were I,
0: also getting into back into the practice of daily meditation, which I think has had a huge impact on everything we're talking about right now.
1: I wasn't that preceded that. Mm. It wasn't that I don't meditate many days of the week, it's that I didn't get into this specific state, which is the state of receiving. So when I let go of everything and I'm meditating, I become a channel. The word channel, like, you can become a channel of peace, or when I say channel, I'm talking about a frequency. Just like on a radio station, right? The point of like this radio, you're, you're twisting the knob on the radio and it's tuning into different frequencies. So there is a particular frequency that I could tune into when I'm meditating. I can choose different frequencies that I feel like weightless and empty. And I could hear frequencies and pick different things up and recep- receiving messages from beings and from energies and i got there in this meditation and then the, the voice said oh welcome back we you know we're waiting for you because it had been so long since i had taken the time to tune in and it all started because you were listening to this matthias de stefano podcast then he started watching his television show and then i started listening to it and then he started talking about the Some pyramid stuff. Was he he talking about the pyramid? No, was it not pyramid stuff? He was talking about Sirius and then connecting with beings from Sirius. And then I thought to myself, wow, this this guy's got a lot of courage. That's the word.
0: Wow, you haven't told me that.
1: I do think he has a lot of courage. That's the thing that bothers me about myself sometimes is I I feel like I lack courage in this area. Mm feel like if I shared all of the messages and all the experiences that I've had spiritually, some of them are so crazy.
0: Well, this is a safe space for you to bring it all out.
1: Because it's our living room or because everyone who's listening to this podcast is ready to hear it? Both. Well, I'd say I had one of my most powerful crazy experiences was probably this like journey it was like a snaking journey through all of these different things it all started with a friend of mine telling me about this food conference it's like a jewish food conference in california i'm and i was in new york and i wanted to go because i i'd just gotten into learning about like farming and vegetables and organic and this whole concept i was extremely curious like when i'm curious about something I need to know everything there is to know about it. Which is one of the reasons why I get so frustrated growing up. I'd be like, mom, dad, I'd ask them these questions. Like, they don't, we like, we don't know the answer. I'm like, we're going through the tunnel right now. Like, is there a chance that the water will break through the tunnel? Like, how is it built? How did they build this tunnel? Are we going under the water? (laughs) Just (laughs) all of these questions. Like, I had to know the answer. There was no Wikipedia then. By the way, fast forward 2004 got to college i had this friend and we were sitting in the hallway he's like hey there's this new thing on the internet it's called wikipedia i was like is he making this up what a stupid name (laughs) (laughs) i remember this and he's like no man it's like it's this page and like people like make entries on it and like you can look anything up and they're like there's so many things in there
0: is this your chad voice
1: (laughs) no and i'm thinking to myself okay, but like people make stupid stuff all the time. There's no way this is going to work, all right? So I was wrong about Wikipedia, obviously.
0: That's what I thought about TikTok in 2018.
1: Well, then in 2006, I worked in this science lab over the summer, which brings me into more craziness. But uh, it was actually that summer when I worked at this lab at Mount Sinai, just like doing some sort of research. I remember how boring it was. It was one of the most, boring things I'd ever done. Like after a week or two in, I learned a lot of stuff that was cool. And they're like, yeah, so just do the same thing every day over and over and over again. I'm like, so like, what about this idea? They're like, no, just do this thing over and over and over again. It was mind-blowingly boring. Anyway, there was a guy in the office. He was like a kid my age in college. And he was like, hey, you want to check out this cool thing on the internet? I'm like, what? He's like, it's called YouTube. I'm like, hmm. And he's like, yeah, you can just like upload videos and there's like videos on it. I'm like, dude, who wants to see a video of somebody's dog? (laughs) So once again, that was my uh, second bad prediction of what would work and what would not work. So yeah, Wikipedia, YouTube. I didn't think those were very good ideas. And obviously I was wrong about that.
0: Pretty early on eBay though.
1: Oh, Yep, I was very early on eBay. In fact, that's kind of part of my entrepreneurship. (laughs) I had an eBay account in 1999. And I found out about eBay. I thought it was the absolute coolest thing in the world. I was like, so you're telling me I could go on eBay and there's anything there? And this really was when eBay was the Wild West. Like categories barely existed. Like you could do eBay arbitrage when you would type in the name of, you would type something in if it was spelled wrong. There was like very few things out there that were spelled wrong and nobody would see it. And people wouldn't know the right price and you could like buy things that, there were deals available. And like, there was also a lot of schemes, of course, which I, you know, negative stealing. I probably got scammed once or twice. I was also wrong about mini discs. I thought that mini discs was <laughs> going to be amazing. So I had like a couple mini disc players that I sold uh, I tried to sell and trade beanie babies, but my most successful eBay thing was actually Abercrombie and Fitch. I remember Abercrombie and Fitch was like pretty expensive. It occurred as really expensive. Um, we never went shopping at like malls and places like this. We were mostly in Marshall's TJ Maxx uh, family and Daffy's, uh, which was great. There was I never felt like I was missing anything except Abercrombie and Fitch, of course, because it was awesome. <laughs> Uh, or I was told, I think somebody just, my brother used to implant ideas that he probably heard from someone else. He's like, Abercrombie and Fitch is like really good. Or when we were younger, he's like, mesh shorts. We need mesh shorts. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have a pair of mesh shorts. Anyway, I had this Abercrombie and Fitch scheme because I knew they had this return policy, which you could return anything or exchange anything or you could exchange anything that you wanted. So what I'd go is I would go on the internet and I would buy clothing from Abercrombie & Fitch that was used. So I bought a pair of khakis for $17. And then I went to the store and I was like, oh, I'd like to uh, exchange these khakis for this pair of cargo pants. They're like, okay, sir, here you go. And they would just exchange the pants for me. I'm like, oh, my God. And I did a lot of Abercrombie & Fitch schemes, buying old stuff and then selling it or returning it to the store for something new. It worked out really well.
0: That's so Ironic because about 20 years later, I had my own fashion type of online business where I would buy clothes for people I knew back in Russia from high school or from college. And either they would pay me a commission that we had agreed upon already for Abercrombie and Fitch and Victoria's Secret and Ralph Lauren type of stuff. Or if I find something that is an amazing deal at Maxx runway, I can just make up my own price. And that is how I paid for a lot of my travel back in my early 20s.
1: Yeah, I paid for a lot of my travel selling drugs in my early 20s. <laughs> but you were talking I, yeah. about
0: a winding, snaking journey. Yeah.
1: Oh, my God. Okay. So we were talking about the food conference, right? So long story short, I was interested in like healthy alternative eating. I'm not going to go into how it started because it's just too long of a story. But I get to this conference and I see that there's a session on raw vegan and there were, for some reason like this the essenes or you know who's like a a tribe that's like a you know i guess jews who lived in israel in you near know, the dead sea caves that was like a super white robe spiritual type thing that was different there's somehow this they were raw vegans or something like that not raw they like ate aloe i don't know too much about it but these people felt like they were some sort of the scenes at this jewish food conference and i thought raw food wow this sounds so stupid i have to go <laughs> but that's the thing for me is that i think what I, being an artist is i just don't just dismiss ideas i will think in my head this is stupid isn't this crazy but i have to go i had to see what it was i just want to understand not to even mock them Not not to say that I wasn't going to mock them. To to myself, I was there literally just to understand like how, why they would do this. So they handed out some sprouts at this session. I listened to what they had to say. They handed out those little like date balls with shredded coconut. They had some other stuff in them, powder, carob powder. I thought that was okay. And I thought the sprouts were okay. But then when they talked about like the energy and the raw and the vitality, I went from being like, oh, man, these guys are crazy to sold. <laughs> Didn't take very long for me to become a raw vegan. So at the end of the uh, conference, there was a like a book fair. That's the best way of saying it. There was like a vending situation. And I went up to them and I was like, you know, I really liked learning about this raw food thing. Like, do you have any books that you can recommend? Like, yeah, I recommend this book, Rainbow Green Live Food Cuisine by Dr. Gabriel Cousins. Little did I know that, that was like the most orthodox raw vegan book of all time. So, and I'm, when I find out about something, I'd like read it by the book because I wanted to be quote unquote legit raw vegan. So I made all the recipes in his book and I bought all these other raw food things and I needed to bind a blender because you really need an amazing blender if you're going to be a raw vegan. You, that's for sure. And so I tried to find an amazing blender, but I didn't have any money. Like I had just gotten back from this trip to Israel that I did after college. I was like 22, 23 years old. And I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life at all. I had no idea. So here I am needing a blender. And I found out the blender I wanted, which was the Blendtec ICBQ7, was a $700 blender. And that was like unthinkable. I definitely didn't have it. So I went on eBay. (laughs) <laughs> this is a full circle right <laughs> went on eBay and I found a guy who was selling like a used blender and I tried to like buy because it was used once or something like that and I tried to like buy it from him I was like hey what do you think of this I made him an offer and I like eBay emailed him with him back and forth and he was a phone number and I called the phone number I was like I'm ready to buy this blender like my mom said that she would give me $100 and I would pay $250 because I live with her and we'd like have this great blender together and he's like oh i'm sorry he like made it so hard to buy this i was like do you have a blender on ebay like why aren't you letting me buy this <laughs> it made no sense and at some point i just forgot about it and i think i got another blender or something like that long story short a couple months passed by and i'm really deep into being raw vegan i'm feeling amazing i'm feeling great i'm like really a strict raw vegan And so I want to learn everything I can know about it because there's nothing on the internet as far as I know about this stuff. There's really very little information. It's 2009, 2010, around that time. So what happens is I am going to Union Square to the farmer's market because that is one of the best places to get high quality produce in New York City. So I'm walking down the farmer's market thing and I hear something like my ear rings I have a pretty strong sense of taste and a very strong sense of smell. Remember, we went to the essential oil apartment in Portland, and I sniffed <laughs> around there, and I was like, "You have vetiver, frankincense, <laughs> orange." Like, and she was like, "How did you know?" Yeah, like it must have been seven essential oils. I have very sensitive, astute smell, so my ear like rings, and I'm like, I'm hearing someone's voice right now. And I look to my right and I hear this voice that sounds just like the guy I talked to on the telephone.
0: Who didn't sell you Who the didn't blender. sell
1: me the blender. I'm like, this guy, it's him. It wasn't that I thought it. I didn't think it. I knew it. I felt it. So I went over to him and he was like showing people like scalar energy pendants and like laser pointers and stuff like that. I don't remember what he was doing exactly. But I go over to him. I look him in the eye. I go, you. And he like was taken aback. go, you're the guy that tried to sell me the ICBQ7 on eBay. You wouldn't sell it to me. He goes, no, no. I'm like, yes, it's you. He goes, (laughs) ah, it is me. (laughs) He was so shocked that I recognized his voice from the telephone, from the five-minute conversation we have. Here's the craziest part. He was in Jacksonville, Florida. He was in New York because he just started dating this girl that he met on the internet. Wow. So here I am walking through Union Square, hearing a voice from a guy who's trying to sell me a blender. He's in New York and he's in Union Square at the same time as me. And I hear him. And so I quickly start talking to him about like raw food because he also was into it. And he's like, oh, you going to the uh, New Life Expo? Like, what's that? It's like, oh, it's like this expo with like energy stuff and like there's raw food stuff there too. So I'm saying, all right, I'm in. I have been. I want to know other people who do this stuff. So we went to this thing together. We walked around. He knew some people. He introduced me. But then there was also a pamphlet of all these other cool things, like energy things and meditation stuff and all sorts of things that I had gotten exposed to in college and after college, and I had been interested in my entire life. So I saw this one session on... It's called light speed learning. It was like learning fast, I guess. And one of the main things was getting into this alpha brainwave state. And I really thought that was cool. I was like, oh, alpha brainwave sounds amazing. So I decided to take this course. And it was like the day after the thing ended or the next weekend is when the course was. And it was in the same hotel as the expo. So it was really cool. I got there and I did this whole thing and I learned how to get into the alpha brainwave state. And that's actually, that meditation was something I did every day for a whole year. And that's how I got really deeper into meditation. And what was awesome was at the end of this thing, he's like, oh, by the way, we lead these trips. I'm like, oh, trips? like, yeah, it's called sacred trips. Okay, sounds interesting. So where do they go? And I looked at the pamphlet. And in the pamphlet, I noticed that there was a trip to Egypt. I was like, oh, I've always wanted to see the pyramids. This is amazing. I want to go. He goes, well, I'm not sure we're going to Egypt soon. But we are going on a trip to Peru. I was like, what's in Peru? I had no idea. This was, like I said, 2010, I think. I didn't know anything. I can't even remember if it was 2000. It was 2010. I didn't know anything about Peru. He's like, oh, it's great. I'm like, all right, I believe you. So... (laughs) Machu Picchu. So we went to Peru. We went all around there. Now I didn't have any money to pay for this trip. It was like three or four thousand dollars or something. And I like remember I had like all I did was like tutored kids for their bar mitzvahs and tutored kids in math and science and taught like stud taught people SAT stuff. I was also an SAT teacher. And what I did was I had this banjo that I really liked. It was like a fancy banjo. It was like. Twenty five hundred dollars. So I sold this banjo that I had. I had other banjos, right? And I sold the banjo, and I was able to pay for the trip. And so in this trip to Peru, I was still a raw vegan. And I want to be clear that on the trip, I didn't know about what ayahuasca was. I remember the guy who set me up with the trip in the first place. He called me up. He's like, Eric, I can't go on the trip. I'm like, What do you mean you can't go on the trip? He's like, I've got cancer probably going to die i'm like oh no i really love this guy he was like such a mentor in the short period of time that i knew him he goes but don't worry there's another guy that's going to be leading the trip i'm like what do you mean another guy like i want you and he's like no this guy's good trust me he's kind of like an alien i'm like oh he's he's like a wacky guy i'm like i thought you were a wacky guy (laughs) he goes no this guy's way wackier. so He's like, you also might want to consider like the the going to a shaman in the jungle and trying this ayahuasca thing. I remember thinking to myself, what is that? I've never heard of it before. And he said, well, it's like, I don't remember what he said, honestly, but I do remember when I, when I asked him, like, should I try this? He's like, well, what do you think? I'm thinking, yeah, if you suggested it, it sounds like it'd be pretty good. I do like psychedelic type things because it's not really it's like a spiritual i don't even remember what he said he goes it's like nothing you've ever experienced in your entire life it's totally different than anything else and it's you go to the jungle and he goes this is one of the only female shamans that exists she does it in the jungle in peru like isolated in the middle of nowhere and it's just you and her i'm like oh damn so we went on this regular trip to peru for 10 days and then after the trip to peru I went to the shaman alone for 11 days. So you're supposed to, I don't know, must have had like seven ayahuasca servings in those 11 days. And three days before I even had any of it, like she was like using all of these, like spitting all those like perfumes, <laughs> like they spit like agua de Florida and all these other like little bottles of like alcohol perfumes that. People put in on in Latin America that don't exist in New York City below 125th Street, and so it was a really interesting. And also, she was like having me bathing in mud and like cracking something on top of my head and all sorts of other herbs and medicines and stuff like that that have that I've never heard of since, but that were pre-treatments to the ayahuasca itself.
0: Purification.
1: So purification, purific, Eric, Purification. I remember she would always ask me this question after I would drink the ayahuasca. She'd be like, Eddie, ¿la ayahuasca está activando? And is the ayahuasca working? And I remember (laughs) the trip was really weird because I I thought I knew Spanish. And I don't know why I had this. I, I thought I knew Spanish when I went abroad in my junior year in college. I got there living with a family that only spoke Spanish. obviously realized I didn't know Spanish as well as I thought. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to go on a trip to Peru. Like I've already lived in a Spanish-speaking country for five months. I, I've taken lots of Spanish. I get there. like, Well, apparently, I don't know like ayahuasca, spiritual Spanish. <laughs> like I'm the only person here with this woman. Like I don't have like a cell phone. I don't have like a dictionary. Like it's just me and her and she doesn't speak English very well. And I'm about to, like, essentially go on a serious trip for 11 days, like tripping trip. And I was like, eh, why not? I just, like, this is just, I was like, I'll just do it. But just remember how this all went back to buying the blender. Because none of it would have happened unless I bought that, unless I tried to buy the blender, unless I went on the trip to California. So I had this powerful experience in Peru I don't, you know, we don't need to go into too much detail on it.
0: I would love to hear some things that still feel alive that you've carried with you since.
1: Okay. Um, Probably one of the most, the things that happened to me that was very different from other people's experiences is I never threw up and I never had diarrhea. I never purged once from this. From
0: either direction?
1: From either direction. The first time I had it, nothing happened. The second time I had it. It might have been, it was it was like a very special formula, I guess. Second time I started to, like Paisley is probably the best word I had to describe it. Like I closed my eyes and I would see like red Paisley-ish type things. And it was like, wow, this is great. And then I remember the third time was like, it was like somebody really dropped the cannonball inside of me. And I went so deep and I. I was visiting people, I was seeing visions and I was seeing crystals and all sorts of really cool stuff. So the thing that I'm trying to like remember, like pinpoint, was there something in particular that happened to me? There was one moment that I will share. That I don't know how it's exactly in, like processed so far, but it was I had this ayahuasca during the day. So she was like, oh, we're going to try it during the day. Like, well, it's not dark outside. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Yeah, we'll do it. So we went on this journey, this walk through the jungle, and it was beautiful. The jungle, oh my God. All the sounds are like a clock. Like every hour of the day has different birds chirping, different sounds. It was so beautiful. This was the middle of the jungle, by the way. There was no like electricity or anything there. And I was in a hammock sleeping in a sleeping bag. Like the whole thing was outside of civilization, a hundred percent. Wow. And then her son or her daughter would go and get food for us and bring it back. So, pretty much papaya and limon was my number one thing that I ate. So, we went out into the middle of the jungle and we we had a blanket and she gave me the ayahuasca and we sat down and nothing happened. It's like literally nothing was happening. I was like, Eric, la ayahuasca está activando? I'm like, no, no. (laughs) I don't, she's like, I'm like, what's going on? She goes, I don't know. Espera, espera. And then, so we ended up walking back to the hut, so to speak. And I'm like, all right, I'm hungry. I've been fasting the whole day. Like, let's eat. She's like, okay. So she prepares like my favorite thing. She's kind of felt like my mother. I really loved her. And we kept in touch for a while, for a couple years at least. Anyway, so I sit down at the table to eat that papaya. And I take one bite and I'm just like my head drops. I'm like, because it starts kicking in. And so I'm like, I can't sit down here. And I go into one of like the hammocks and I lay back and I'm in the hammock and I close my eyes. And all of a sudden I'm Moses in the, in a reed basket on the Nile and I'm being floated down the Nile. And I'm feel this like punch in my solar plexus. And it's like, Eric, Eric, I'm like, oh, you're a leader. I'm like, uh, who? What? It's like you're a leader. I'm like, who am I going to lead? He's like, you'll know. Whatever. Didn't say whatever. And <laughs> that was that was one part of the experience. The other one was I was floating in this basket still, and I get to what feels like a tunnel, and the in the tunnel I feel like this powerful presence, and I go, God, like I whisper, God. And then, like, there was no voice back, but it was the presence. And I'm like, God? And then I felt the same thing. I was like, God? And then at some point, I was like, dude, God is definitely there. Like, I don't know why you keep on asking. (laughs) Because, like, it's so clear. Like, how did I get the idea that God was there? Because I felt it, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was just a funny thing that I, like, asked those three times. Because it was so clear that I felt it. And that's something that in life, an early spiritual part of my journey, I felt like it would have moved along faster. Obviously, it went along as fast as it went. If I would have, instead of asking God three, like, God, is that you? Like three different times being like, oh, God is here. Let me be in your presence and like enjoy that or to experience it. It was more like, am I there? Mm. Which is a normal, like immature person thing to do. And- I don't like have judgments for myself, but it was just great because that experience, like I definitely, like by that third, God, I was pretty sure I was like, yeah, 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 this is, I'm there, you know? And so that experience really stayed with me. And as soon as it was over, the first thing I did was move out of my mom's house and get a job, actually. Mm -hmm. I called up a friend who was in real estate and I was like, uh, now my friend, Danny, I said, Danny, I gotta get into this. I need to like move out and like get some money.
0: I remember when I first started my podcast, it seemed like solving a tech puzzle, but I've been using Zencastr since day one. And honestly, it's made it so easy. It provides crystal clear sound and gorgeous HD video. What I love about it is that it records separate audio and video tracks for me and my guests. So the editing process is super customized. Plus they offer secured cloud backups and I've never lost a single episode. It's super easy to use, there's nothing to download, and my guests just have to click on the link and we start recording. I recently got to try their automatic post-production and it's so good. I'm a huge fan of Zencaster. If you're a podcaster or you're thinking about starting a podcast, Zencaster has a special deal for my listeners. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and enter promo code K-S-E-N-I-A, all capitals, my name, to get 30% off your first three months with Pro Account. It includes unlimited audio and video recordings, hosting up to four guests at once, audio and video mixing, and unlimited English transcriptions. You get a 14-day trial and can always downgrade to the free account if you choose to. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com forward slash pricing, promo code XENIA, all caps, or click the link in the show notes to get that 30% off. It's time to share your story. Where were you at in terms of art at that point? Cause you decided not to go to med school. You decided not to be a dentist because there was this passion for art and this calling to be an artist.
1: Yeah. I wasn't quite sure what being an artist was. If I Make, like I've always been an artist in the sense that an artist is somebody who makes art like since the time I was I, I as early as I can remember I've always been making things I've always been sculpting I've never used coloring books I hated coloring books I've always been sculpting I've always been painting I've always been folding I've always been doing something with my hands and building
0: I think artists are not just the ones who create art but anyone who creates a business, is creation, a healing is creation, food is creation. I truly believe that anytime we express ourselves, we're creating something and we all are artists.
1: I would definitely put entrepreneurs in the category of artists, because part of being an artist uh, for me is having an idea that doesn't exist at all in the world and then bringing it into existence. And that is the definition of what an entrepreneur does. It is saying, There is no business right now. I am going to create a product and I'm going to create clients for this product and it will generate revenue. And I'm going to spend time working on this and building into this with the knowledge that this will be. And I always say this. I don't know if I made it up or you made it up or we heard it from somewhere or we talked about it together is you really need to be delusionable, delusional. (laughs) to be a successful entrepreneur you need to say hey there's no existence of this yet at all but i'm going to do this thing and it's going to generate millions of dollars in revenue so if somebody were to come up to you and be like okay yeah show me this thing like i can't show it to you it's just an idea well the process of taking that idea and then making it a thing that has a showing in the world that is beautiful that is art that's entrepreneurship that's why I think you're an amazing artist with the content that you make, because it, it always is so beautiful. It touches, you know. We're listening to the interview with my one of my favorite musicians, if not my favorite musician, Bela Fleck.
0: He's on your profile picture on Facebook. Yeah,
1: okay, I love him. All right, and I've I've been to 24 Bela Fleck uh, shows, which is like a lot of Bala. That's like the equivalent of like 500 Fish shows. Just anyway, so the thing with. Bill Fleck is he was saying that he didn't grow up with a religion. I mean, he did grow up with a religion, but it was totally secular. What he said was that music was definitely kind of my religion. And what I noticed is that was beautiful about instrumental music was that there's no words. And how I connected with things is my favorite musicians, I just felt truth in their music. It felt like this was truth. And I think what he was saying was truth with a capital T in terms of that like there was godliness or godly. There was something that was true, something that was resonant, something with the core of me that's most real is connecting with this. And in order for that to happen, there has to be something that's really special. And so... That is what I think all artists do is like you're revealing something. You're revealing a part of the truth. And one of the things that's so hard about sharing on social media for me up until recently is that I felt like I was on such a zoomed in part of the truth that I was working on. I couldn't see the bigger picture. So at the time of COVID in March 20, what was it? 2020 right Mm -hmm. you and i were living in my father's apartment when we got back from our nomadic six months while my father was in florida for a little bit and in that small apartment i had none of my art materials none of my paints and canvases and you know how many art materials i have it's ridiculous so many yep (laughs) and so we're there and i have no place to make the artwork but i do have an office for me to do my business and run the business so so i was looking at my father's like shelf where he keeps pictures of the family and some different things that I'd done over the years. Actually, there's a couple of like ceramic pl- uh, plates that I had painted that looked really cool as a kid. And he kept all those things. And I saw there was a photograph of some origami that I folded when I was maybe like 15 or 16. Or and I thought, oh, cool. You know, I haven't explored that origami horse that I used to love making in a while. Let me let me look at some origami stuff. And I guess I just dove into this origami community online and I met somebody cuz I I reached out and then they got me involved in this Facebook group messenger chat type thing which was incredible and that got me even deeper into origami that's when I actually learned about modular origami which is when you put different pieces of paper together to make a greater object I knew of its existence but it always occurred as like too complicated or something along those lines. Or I I was just more interested in making the horses and the animals and the forms. So that's when I got introduced to that modular origami as an adult. And I got so deep into it. And because the office space and the space was limited, I could just fold a piece of paper on my lap and I just started folding and folding. And then it took over because, uh, that's at the same, typically my biggest origami projects coincide with me watching a TV show. So I was really deep into Wired, uh, sorry, The Wire, and we were really deep into Ozark. And those are two incredible TV shows. And I folded so many things, so many things. And so that's how I got back into origami. And then I remember from the moment I made my first modular origami, like uh, Icosahedron, which is a 20-sided platonic solid, and my dodecahedron, which is a 12-sided platonic solid. I remember thinking to myself, I gotta make these huge. I'm gonna do something with this in my artwork because I didn't consider origami art. I'm not saying it isn't for other people, just for me, it didn't feel like the that expression. Because most of the origami that I've ever made, all of it really, but with some few exceptions, were designs that other people made that I copied which is typical and totally reasonable in origami, but in the origami group, I noticed a lot of the people, it was incredible advanced people in origami in this group, way more technically adept than me. And so, but I noticed in this group, other people came up with their own things. And so it was only when I got to this modular origami that I started to make these meta bigger structures that were, I thought of, or at least, I'm not saying no one ever thought of them before, but, the size and the scale and the freeformness that they were made that that occurs as original to me. And so it took two years. Oh, wait, no. It took 20 months or more to get from the place where I knew that I wanted to be doing this as fine art, what I would call it, from the time I was able to actually start doing it to the time I felt like I had actually gotten there. So 20 months of folding paper. For me to have gotten to the place where I felt like I wanted to be. And so for me, it was really hard to just like share a piece of origami. or like, oh, look, I made this, you know, dodecahedron, which is this 12 sided cube type thing out of paper because I made that and it was awesome. But I got excited because I knew I was building something for the future. I didn't know what I was building for the future, but I was flexing my muscles. I was working out. So I would show it to you and it looked cool. Right, and you'd see what did you know? What did you think when I would make you these make these things?
0: I love them, especially when you put those cubic pyrites in them. We've actually even shared a few of those on Crystal Criminals.
1: Yeah, well, when I put the crystals in, that's when I knew like I was onto something, because it turns out that all the things that I love today are actually things I've already loved my entire life. There's very little new things, because I learned about I discovered crystals. At at the same age I discovered origami, I was four or five years old. I looked at crystals and I was like, these are amazing. My dad showed me one design in origami and I was like, I love this. (laughs) And I couldn't stop folding. And then, you know, I've always been sculpting. I loved clay growing up. So these are things that I've never stopped doing. And I think like that joy, like my life is about joy. I wake up in the morning and I drink that coffee because I really like the coffee making process that we have together. Then I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to get a chance to talk to people. you know, I don't think about like, I'm not particularly passionate about heating, ventilation, air conditioning. Well, I've become very passionate, but it doesn't occur as something like that's an incredible, like interesting thing. But I get to talk to people who are in that business every day about their business and their life and what's missing and how other companies are doing a bad job and we can do an amazing job. That is so fun. It's the conversation with the person that I love. I love waking up every day and having that conversation. So after the whole thing with real estate, when I got back from Peru, I got the real estate thing. I knew real estate wasn't for me. But I also knew that it was a way for me to, the barrier for entry to become a real estate agent is extremely low. So I became a real estate agent. I hustled really hard, really hard for for months. And it actually only took me like five or six months to be able to make a considerable amount of money. In fact, one month, I did make $17,000. Now, that was like as much money as I'd made in the previous year. But I figured something out about real estate, but it was so hustle based and I knew I didn't want to be in it, like working on bigger deals or anything besides like quick rentals. They just, it just occurred to me like I can't do it. So the same thing about being like a doctor or then being a dentist. It was like there's some energy blocking me from going any deeper. And so the real estate thing was fizzling and I was making all sorts of changes with You know, becoming sober and just trying to like figure out what was like what I wanted to do with myself. And then that is when I actually was selling some of my artwork, you know, and people were buying it Uh, friends and friends of family and stuff like that. People were supporting me because they liked the work I was making and I was working really hard and making work. And at that time, that's when I realized, like, oh, I really should get a job. My father, it's like, Eric, you really need a job. I was thinking to myself, yes, I do, because I really didn't have any money. And I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't the kind of, I'm not the kind of person that was going to have like ask my parents or something or someone to pay for my rent or for me to live. I, like, it just didn't seem, you know, that's not something that was in my realm of thinking or possibility. And I'm glad. So I got a job, like a real job at an office for the first time in my entire life. And at this, I got this job on Craigslist because my dad said, go on Craigslist. It was the first job I got. I had a job interview. I got the job interview. They offered me the job. I took the job. And I remember thinking, like, what is this? what do I do in the job again? The like cold calling. Like cold calling? Like, will there be heat in the room? Like, I knew that little about cold calling. I didn't know anything about digital marketing or any I knew nothing. Nothing. And I just did the job. My my brother was like, "Eric, sales is a good skill to develop. Like, you know, ultimately, like who knows if this is going to be a job for you that you like or you love or that goes anywhere, but right now you do need a job and this is a good skill to develop." So, I was very humbled at that point in my life, starting anew in a lot of ways. So, I just was a beginner. I allowed myself to be a beginner, and I got the job partly like in my mind success was going to be like I have enough money that I can buy all the art supplies that I want to buy. That's really why I wanted to do the job. I was like, I want to buy all the art supplies. And and that's
0: s- why you still do your job now.
1: <laughs> well, that's the thing that pulls me away from doing my job because I can buy all the art supplies that I want. <laughs> I, bought, I built a workshop to do all my art stuff in. You know, so that it turns out to be that that career and selling marketing ended up becoming a whole thing that i built an entire business from it was so now you teach
0: other people how to build their own agencies and there's so many people whose lives have been changed because of that
1: totally yeah i've helped people build their own agencies we've continued to build up our agency i really love what i'm doing with the agency and what's like a big focus for me right now is i have achieved a, a level of Let's call it success. I say the word success because if I would look at Eric from the past, like from, let's say, 10 years ago, and see what I've done now, I'd be like, wow, that's me? But I probably could have achieved one-tenth of it and still thought the exact same thing. So now my big focus is creating an art Career. I say the word career, but it doesn't quite sit right because it's not exactly describing. What it is, is I want to publicly share with the world the projects that I'm working on and creating and allow the world to influence my artwork through interaction through social media. And there's something about, I feel like I have arrived at something in my work. Not where it's like a final product and it's perfect and it's great. And this is how I want to be known as for the rest of my life. It's, I'm, at, I'm at the point where I'm making something where I feel like what Bella Fleck said is that there's some sort of truth in there and that there's some completeness and that a lot of the threads from different eras of my life are connecting to make something that is me and unique and that is a contribution that I feel is worthwhile to share that's a true self-expression and work that I love making in the process. That's why we got involved in the 11 day thing in the first place is because that the underlying premise was we've got something here that I wanna share for the first time. Mm. Like let's be legit about this.
0: I love that and one of the things that inspires me so much about being part of this is that whenever any one of us shares their slice of truth, I believe that it awakens the other side of truth in everyone else who gets to touch it. And the more we all remember our truth and step into it and express it, the more is not even the right way to look at it because all there is is this moment and in that moment of touching someone else's truth, if that awakens something within you that reminds you your truth and who you are, what makes you feel alive, there's nothing more that I could wish for. If this podcast does that for you, if there's one thing you hear in each episode that touches that in you, that is my highest vision for it.
1: Mm, that's awesome. I love that you, what you're saying because I'm thinking about so many different times that I've been inspired in my life. And what happened was someone just said one simple thing. Remember one time I heard someone speak at a personal development uh, seminar and what they said, how they gave an introduction about themselves and they said, I've got, I have a business that's over a million dollars or something, which sounded great and everything like that, but you know, it wasn't particularly special. But then she said that she said, I had a relationship with my husband and then I introduced him when we got divorced to his future wife. And that was so mind-blowing to me. That idea that someone could be in a place where they would get divorced because my parents got divorced and then that they would maintain a relationship with that person and care about them and then contribute to their happiness in such a way that they would give them the next partner. That seemed so incredible that I essentially just was blown away. I was like, if this is possible, what else is possible for me? Because the divorce before at that time, when I must have been like 25, 26 years old, still something that was impacting me, I hadn't fully unpacked it. And so I love the fact that we get to share, you and I are sharing from places of having broken through in different areas and, you know, having had, uh, I say the word success, I'm trying to define what I mean by that. Success means where I feel like if I didn't grow any bigger, if I didn't like get, quote unquote, any more, that I would have felt like I got to a great place. And I hadn't been able to say that until about eight months ago in my life. Like in the world of business, I might have achieved some results, but I never could say to myself internally, Eric, you're successful. And something happened. I don't know if it was like a monetary goal or anything else, but it was, Eric, you're successful. I said that to myself for the first time. felt so good. felt so at peace when I said that to myself. I'm not sure if there was a particular event that precipitated it. But from that moment on, I felt like anything that I set out to do in the business, like, oh, we're going to get this goal. It didn't feel like we might get it or we could get it. It was a foregone conclusion that we would. And having that level of confidence is so awesome. I don't know how we got it. It was just continuing to work and being in business for a while and creating the business and struggling and moving through, getting revenue, and all of a sudden going from not collecting money to, wow, that was a lot of money I just got. You know, but really digging in the trenches.
0: If you were to pinpoint one or a couple of things that you think made your business so successful to give you this ability to build your workshop, to buy all the art supplies, what are they?
1: Well, I think the first thing that I see in all people who I've seen be successful in business is they're relentless. Is that And they have unreasonable belief in something.
0: There's this wild look in your eye as you look at me and say that.
1: Yeah, it's this relentlessness that I have that I bring to everything that I have. But bringing it to business is something that I definitely believe is one of the keys to success. Uh, And the relentlessness doesn't exist in a vacuum. but it is, the other thing that's helped me is having partners. I have um, a number of different minor partners in my business, and I have one main partner in the sense that he's partner's with me on, my, on the digital marketing agency, my partner, Michael, he's also a partners with me on different info products to help other digital marketing agencies grow. I've chosen somebody who's good at the things I'm not good at. And that goes for business and personal. I think one of the things that's huge for me in my business life is you. You are the most important element of stability in my life. Because what happens is I have you to talk to, I have you to share the responsibilities of the home with. I know we've moved into relatively traditional male-female type roles in terms of you know how we run the home. But knowing that at like one o'clock you'll walk into my office and like offer me a snack and like ask me if I'm hungry, like that allows me to focus on my business. So I don't need to worry about that. Like there's things that I would never be able to do or be impossible if I had to be thinking about food. Impossible for me to go deep in there at four o'clock if I hadn't eaten any food yet. I mean, these are things that I definitely need a partner for. And you, you know, that's just one element of it. And then also just you know, the booking things, right? Think about all the things that you like to do or that you're willing to do or aren't hard for you. Like when you book the trips for us and you plan different things. It's it's just, I have people in my life that enjoy doing things that I don't like doing. And then I do things that they don't like doing. And of course there's a, the overlap of the things that neither of us like doing very much <laughs> that we both do. But One of the things that I know, for some reason, I'm, I'm just thinking about our relationship right now that I love most, is that I know you hate putting the duvet cover on top of the comforter. I know you hate it, and particularly you hate the button part. And so I don't really like doing it, but because I know how much you hate it, I enjoy doing it because I know that I'm relieving you of the bondage of having to put the buttons (laughs) on and put the duvet cover on. So that's just one of the things I love about our partnership and I love about successful partnerships. It's when I feel like in that partnership, I am getting a chance to do the things that I'm best at or that I love doing the most or that I'm growing. We're both growing and we're both in in a similar type place. We've both got skin in the game. That's really important is it's very tough to, I feel like it's tough to be partners with somebody who's so like, who's so advanced. So if someone's already extremely successful like, you know, um, multi-millionaire and has bought and sold businesses and I'm coming in and I have no experience like that. We've got very different motivations because I'm, I'm in a place where I still need to, I want to prove myself. I need to, quote unquote, make money now. Like, I'm not interested in equity. I'm interested in money now. And so it's just a very different dynamic. So, choosing someone that's in a similar place or that also has a chip on their shoulder or something to prove in a given moment can be very helpful, at least in business.
0: So interesting. Makes me think of my parents because they met when they were 20. They had their first kid, my sister. I think when they were 21, it all unfolded very quickly. They got engaged within months of being together. And when they got together, they both had nothing. So whatever they have now in their travel life, family, real estate business, their country home that they've built, and the incredibly beautiful garden that you may have seen if you follow my adventures to Russia on Instagram, all of that every single tree they've planted together from scratch and they have told me multiple times how much that means to build something together with someone that you love and i think for us renovating this property and learning how to take care of it and planting your garden is one of the things that played such a role in creating this kind of partnership
1: totally in fact actually looking at some of the things that your parents have built together has inspired me actually, because it's really interesting. You come from a nuclear family in which your parents love each other and they're together and they still really enjoy spending time together and they do things and your parents have a great relationship and they're really great people too.
0: If my parents are going to listen to this, they're going to ask what a nuclear family is and neither do I know what it is. So will you explain? Oh,
1: okay. Yeah. I mean, like, They have a, the nuclear family is like the family, I hope I don't mess this up, is like your family that is parents, children, like that core family, then there'd be, because it's the nucleus, right? Then there's your cousins and your uncles and your aunts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like that's further out from the center. So saying is my family, although I think I got great parents too, they're just, they got divorced. And so that changes the dynamic because I didn't grow up in a house where there was two parents who had a good relationship in which they liked each other. So it's different. So seeing that with your parents and that that was your norm has definitely been interesting for me to see because I think it's great, but both experiences have shaped us and become the people we are today. So I'm very happy with how, what I got, but when I think about this renovation what we built with the property and this house, I'm really happy about it. But I'm particularly happy that we didn't build a pyramid. <laughs> There's a story behind this house, this renovation that people do not know. And the story is that before we built this bathroom...
0: We may have shared it on the previous episode we did together where we specifically talked about renovations. But I would love to bring that story back because it has evolved... And led us to the current pyramid obsession in different ways.
1: Yes. So, pyramid obsession. When did my pyramid? I don't want to call it an obsession, but it. Pretty, I do. Okay, fine. I don't. I think many things are obsessions. That I, I, my life is a series of obsessions, moving from one to the next. But the pyramid thing essentially started when I read Fingerprints of the Gods by Graham Hancock. There was, by the time the whole like raw vegan crystal thing trip to peru all that stuff unfolded that's when i suspected that things were more than they were so before like all the alien stuff i was like there's aliens there has to be aliens but like it sounded so ridiculous at the time just like a bra vegan sounded so ridiculous or ayahuasca like nobody had heard of that i'm like mom do you think they're aliens and like i'm sure she was thinking about like green people you know like martians that you'd see on tv but i wasn't thinking about that i was just thinking there's like beings from another planet or energies that like there's more than just what's on this planet like it's impossible that there isn't you know if there's a a god that's all powerful did did this god like just create on this planet when there's an infinite universe like these are the only sentient beings come on (laughs) it just seems preposterous And then it seems so preposterous to me that people couldn't consider this concept of aliens or whatever. So all those things kind of happened at the same time because once you, I feel like once I diverged from a couple different things, like from normal eating and this and that, it allowed me the space mentally to diverge from other thoughts Mm. and thinking that were holding me back and keeping me like in a certain box.
0: I feel that it only takes that one shift in perspective one new entryway into thinking differently to open up a whole new world that's how it's been for me watching Matthias de stefano's initiation series on gaia it's been as if all of the different things i've been hearing about dimensions and life on other planets and the history of this civilization and spirituality and religion as if someone has put a common thread through all of these things that I've been interested in my whole life. And now that I see this thread, I have more freedom to explore each one of the points on the thread, including aliens. I never really understood when someone talks about, I even spoke about it on the podcast, when someone talks about communicating with the Pleiadians, I'd be like, what are they talking about? I mean, it's cool, but I just have no access to even touching, even near what that is about. And now that I see the world through the nine dimensions that Matthias so eloquently explains and how some of these beings are in this dimension, some of them are in other dimensions, some of them don't live within the time dimension, only within the space and the other way around, all of a sudden I have access to understanding and actually, being more at peace and being more open to so many different possibilities.
1: Yeah, and what I'm hearing from you is that a lot of the things that you're open to and you've understood, at some point someone mentioned them and they occurred as so foreign and so weird. Yeah. And I resonate with that completely because I did grow up, oh, I, I still am Jewish, I grew up in a, in a moderately religious uh, Jewish household, community, family, and just like this anything that if you mentioned like some sort of other god or other religion it's just a little bit strange It's just mm. it's quite because it's quite insular and what was interesting is the concept of of angels of course like angels are in the old testament but they're not like a thing and they're not like a big deal in how i grew up so when someone would mention angels i would be like what, what are you talking about angels in fact on that trip to peru i met a friend who was he was actually my age. I was really surprised that there was another guy that was my age, and he had this book called Angel Archangels and Ascended Masters. It was by Doreen Virtue, who I think has since completely spurned all sorts of angels and stuff like that.
0: If I am correct, Doreen Virtue has become a born again Christian. Yes, and renounced all of her work.
1: Yes, that's what I'm. That's the same person, right? So, but it was this Archangels and Ascended Masters by Doreen Virtue, and. I remember he was like, oh, you should read the prayer for this one and that one. I'm thinking to myself, this is ridiculous. But somehow he gave me the book. It's really sweet of him. And so he gave me this book and I started reading about them. And then it was only a little bit time later when all of a sudden some of these archangels and ascended masters started talking to me in my meditations and communicating with me and giving me messages.
0: Is there something in our kitchen?
1: I heard sounds, but I don't know what it is.
0: It's so strange. Well, maybe archangels landed on the roof.
1: Yeah. Well, these archangels and ascended masters started talking to me in my different meditations. And that's what I meant to say at the beginning when I talk about being in a, um, a receptive state or tuning into that frequency, is I would drop down there and I would obviously hold different crystals and stuff like that. I would. There was a certain crystal that I would hold that I bought in Peru that we still have. I think it's a Brazilian crystal, by the way. <laughs> I bought it in Peru that I would lock into and I would go into that crystal and man, would I see stuff. For I was given um, various like meditation techniques to like heal the kidneys and the brain and like- By also, whom? I don't know. It's just shown to me. beings. No, I don't know. It was, at some point there was Ashtar and then there was this person, some names that sound like other names that are like that. But then at some point- the ascended masters and archangels and all that stuff they're like yeah you know you're not you don't need us anymore not like you don't need us at all like but what you're here to do isn't about you're not going to get the answers from us the answers are within you now and you have all the tools and the skills that you need which is essentially the same thing that psychedelics told me in 2012 before i got sober it's the same message that i've had it's like you've You've developed whatever you need to develop. You've cultivated, and now there's no outside thing that you need. You just have directly connect with Source. So when I heard uh, Matthias Stefano uh, talk about pyramids and talk about Sirius and the beings on Sirius, the first thought I had to myself was, uh, "Sounds kind of crazy," or, but really, what I was thinking to myself is like, "Wow, this guy's got a lot of courage." That he's willing to talk about this, and this is a person who has personally gotten messages from beings on that planet, <laughs> and been into pyramids, and created pyramids, and spent hours and researching it. Like if I'm saying that, I imagine what the rest of the world is saying, right? So I listened to him, and he was like, "It's my job to activate this," and I'm like, "It sounds like such a non-specific job." And then one morning. You're like, Eric. let's do the Wim Hof breathing. I'm like, uh, because that's what I always say. I'm like, uh, and you said, well, you want to do it now or in five minutes? You get just like how I would say is, so you want to set an appointment with me later today or tomorrow morning, like to a prospect, right? (laughs) And so I'm like, all right, I'm sold. I'll do it. So I sit down there. We do the Wim Hof breathing. And then usually after that, we do at least, you know, you do at least a 10 minute and I might go for a very long time after and as soon as that meditation ended i did this other breathing and i was immediately dropped into the space and i got a message what well, i i was a being or whatever some sort of voice speaking to me and the first thing i said was is this really a voice speaking to me or is this me talking and it reminded me of that ayahuasca experience where i'm like god right like i needed that confirmation to ask that question and then the voice, or I don't know if it was the outside or the inside, or if it's the same thing. It was like, dude, you know the difference between a voice talking to you and you thinking to yourself. It's like, okay, fine. So I heard the voice and it was like, I'm from this is you're from Sirius. And I uh, you're also part of this same thing that Matthias is trying to do. Like you're part of this energy, and you're also gonna like work with this with pyramids. I'm like, oh, okay. And so I've been thinking about the pyramids and I've been, it said, come back and visit to this meditation every day. So I've been visiting and coming back, and the message about building a pyramid has come a couple of times. So the other day, I built a pyramid in the workshop with some leftover trim and it was great. And then I found the old pyramid that I made with the crystals and it had actually broken on the sides. And then I hot glued it back together and I'm holding it right now. And I have another pyramid that is a uh, like a mold for silicone mold for me to pour resin into I'm going to make another one of those pyramids I'm just pyramid happy right now because I have all of the knowledge of all the research that I've done in the past and now I can just bring it back in that's what's so beauty beautiful about recycling stuff is like doing all the research right now even if I never do anything it always ends up looping back around and coming back in that's the story with my art story with the business story with relationships it's like everything always ends up looping back around. It's not
0: What is it about the pyramids? And what is your experience with them now? Because I know the one that you're holding, we've actually used back in our Brooklyn apartment to charge water and to charge figs. There was this community garden near where we live. <laughs> and you picked a bunch of figs. And we said, oh, what if we put a few figs into the pyramid and we leave some outside and then in a few minutes, we'll do a taste test. And every single time, whether that's water or figs or something else, both of us can very clearly tell the difference because the ones that have been in the pyramid have a roundedness, have a s- extra sweetness, have like this completeness and wholeness to them.
1: So true. Here's the the my experience with pyramids. If you wanna know like, hey, what what's special about a pyramid or what does it do? First of all, a pyramid, if the pyramid is like hollow in the bottom, like kind of like a hat that's shaped like a pyramid, it's good. If the pyramid is solid, it's also good. Being under the pyramid itself is actually a great way to get the energy of the pyramid. I found that it's more direct if my head is below the bottom of the pyramid, meaning it impacts me more than if the pyramid is just sitting on a table and I'm to the side of it. So here's what I experience when I put food or water in a pyramid. It's really palpable for me. It's like no question, night and day difference. When when it comes to water, if I put a glass of water and I put my pyramid on top of it, my little crystal pyramid here, then that water tastes smoother. It tastes, this is where it gets like, You're gonna have to go beyond the words and go into the feeling of what I'm saying. It becomes thinner and more like flowy. And when I put the water in my mouth and I'm drinking it, the water goes down easy. It like pulls itself into my body down my throat. And it also tastes sweeter. Now, when I have that same water that hasn't been pyramided, it feels thicker. It feels like there's a resistance in the water against my throat. And it feels like minerally and like I said, thick. And it's really, it makes the non-pyramid water taste pretty bad.
0: How can you explain that?
1: I thought I just did.
0: How can you explain why that is so?
1: Well, we do know that water is energetically imprintable. Why is it like that? Well, first of all, okay, there's the experience of pyramids and there's like objective information or knowledge about pyramids. I'm going to speak from my experience around pyramids. My experience is I like the Giza pyramid, which is the proportions of the Great Pyramid of Giza. And you could do the research, but there's also the Nubian period. sorry, Nubian pyramid, which is like a much taller pyramid I I've actually been called to try that pyramid out. Both those pyramids are expressed as a ratio of phi, right? Which is the golden ratio, you know, 1.618. Essentially means the height of the pyramid is a certain percentage, right? You know, is a ratio of 1.618 to a side or to the height, or it just depends. They're both phi relationships that tall pyramid and the shorter pyramid just depends how those relationships play out so i'm ready to jump into nubian pyramid but the giza pyramid is that shape is connected to the heart chakra and so when i'm in a pyramid my heart feels open as a portal and when i personally am meditating in a pyramid what happens is it feels like my head is being organized, like the energies being organized, coherence, that's the word. It feels like it's creating some coherence in my thinking. It's very beautiful and also could be relaxing. I know for a fact that it's healing. So I've been, I got some hot glue on the back of my hand that I tore off an entire chunk of skin. You're making it face right now. It looks it, scary. It looks really scary. It's like all red. And there's skin that's like a chunk of skin that's missing, like an inch long. I know that by going into that pyramid and connecting and meditating and focusing on healing, like it has made a big difference. In fact, actually, I should put the pyramid on the hand right now. So I'm a big believer in the pyramid uh, as an energy thing, which is why I wanted to build a huge pyramid on our property. But instead, we built a bathroom, which <laughs> I would argue is a pretty good idea so far. But now that I know a little bit more about like, you know, what we can build and pyramids and we've got some time, energy, like money potentially to build this pyramid, I really want to make a big one because I want people to experience this power of the pyramid on our property with us. Uh, I'm saying this for kind of the first time, but like I want to create like a camp site area with this pyramid that's there. that People could literally look at the sunset in this pyramid and by the way, when people live in a pyramid house, this is what this is what people say, is that they say the pyramid temperature is more stable. It doesn't matter how hot it is or how cold outside, that the temperature in the pyramid stays even, not too hot, not too cold. I can't answer the question why. They say that also, this is an experience I've personally had, is when you put food under a pyramid, it stays fresh longer. They say that when you grow vegetables and fruits, in a pyramid shaped house or something, then they will grow with more power and energy. If I left like a wire frame pyramid, which is like imagine a pyramid, and if I just like, you know, drew the wire frame of that pyramid and we left it there, there's a good chance that a bunch of animals would like move into that pyramid because it's so awesome and energy cool. is so cool to be there.
0: You know who loved pyramids?
1: Your grandfather.
0: Yeah. My grandfather was obsessed with pyramids and crystals. And he actually, I believe, visited a pyramid that was more like the Nubin Pyramid you speak of because I remember it was very tall and more like skinny. I call that a Russian pyramid.
1: There's actually something called a Russian pyramid. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: Maybe that was it because there was a really big one near Moscow on the way to our country house that people would go to and walk around and charge objects. And then it was taken down by a hurricane. But I wonder if there's something... Knew that they have rebuilt that we could visit when we go to Russia this month.
1: Yeah, I really wanna, I wanna be in the. See, one of the things I've really been interested in is different kinds of like energy devices that people create. Like I know a lot of my crystal, sacred geometry, origami sculptures are energy devices that I've created. But I'm interested in some of the things other people do. In fact, lately some of the things I'm most interested in are. Um, Some, the the frequencies of different things, energies like sound stuff, um, like the Schumann resonance, that's like the earth vibration. That has been very powerful for me.
0: Where were you listening to those frequencies before you went to bed last night?
1: Where was I listening to them?
0: What's the website?
1: iPyramids.net. They had like some a couple of really cool energy devices. Oh, speaking of Organite. I'll put the link yeah, in the show notes. Everyone always talks about Organite. I was making, I made Organite in 2000. Oh, this is actually the really interesting thing. I made Organite for the first time in 2014 because I was really into resin in my artwork. I'd seen, I I was looking for something to seal my paintings so the because I so I did have to use like a sealant and I found out about resin somehow. And this is before like everybody was doing all that cool resin stuff on um, because of Instagram and social media. So I would use the resin to just coat my paintings. And then I also found out about this organite thing somehow. And organite was so ugly back then. Oh my God, it was so ugly. So I was like, I'm gonna make some decent looking organite. Organite is. A combination of metal and crystal and resin, essentially. That's, or an organic compound and inorganic an compound together. So there's something about you know the energy field that it creates or blocks from EMS. All sorts of different claims. I can't personally say that organite just as a concept is particularly powerful. Just like as a crystal as a concept isn't necessarily particularly powerful. Like if someone just gave me a tumbled piece of quartz, there's nothing like insanely powerful about that. You could tap into an energy cuz it's quartz, but it's not going to blow you away like a brandberg amethyst crystal would. So why would a yeah,
0: brandberg amethyst blow you away more?
1: Well, one because it's beautiful. Yeah. Two because there's there's a connection between beauty and, and like power essentially, not like power government. Like talking about when you look at the amethyst, that purple, the Brandberg purple, it, it's emanating a, a certain frequency. And that is unique. We is went
0: really deep into this topic in the episode we did all about crystals. We did, oh right? yeah. It some really, really good stuff. I love the episode. So I'm going to also link to that in the show notes if You want to dive into all things crystals?
1: I want to dive into all things crystals. I've been in like a, I've been almost like scared to say this, but I want to get rid of all of my crystals. No, you just said it. Yeah. Not that I don't love them all, is that I want to be a beginner again.
0: I can take your crystals.
1: You already do, <laughs> but anytime I get like a big load of crystals, you're you're always picking out all the ones you love best before I get to have them. You're like, oh, that's so great! You have a big load of crystals.
0: I have a gift for going for the best out of what's in front of me. Oh my god! If I walk I'm honored. In, if I walk into a, <laughs> if I walk into a store before I see the price tags, I always pick out the most expensive thing. And a new thing that I've been practicing is letting go of having to check how much I want something against its price tag and really just allow myself to want what I want and trust that.
1: I respect, honor that. One of the things I found, by the way, when it comes to art supplies, is I want to know how much like art supplies cost. But at the same time, I'm not going to get something or not get something because... It's more expensive or less expensive. Like the entire purpose of starting, of getting into the world of business was to buy art supplies. (laughs) (laughs) But what's interesting is uh, around the buying stuff is that buying better stuff and having a tiny house means that I don't have an unlimited physical world of storing stuff, particularly for our closet, even though I do have a workshop that's a thousand square feet which I do keep storage in for us, our closet is extremely small still. So I just don't buy clothing particularly unless I love it. Unless I absolutely love something, I don't buy it. And it doesn't matter if it costs a lot or what I might think of as a lot, let's say. What I found is that I buy fewer things still. In fact, I go to a store and I like look at something and I'm like, wow, this is so beautiful. Then I check in and I'm like, yeah, but it's not for me. And I get disappointed sometimes. I do because I'm like, I love this. It's so perfect, just not for me. But it's also empowering to be able to love and fully appreciate something and embrace it and recognize it for its beauty and be like, yeah, but this is for somebody else or this isn't for me right now. It's really awesome because the energy of like, oh, that's too expensive or oh, this, this or whatever, those things used to stop me from connecting and stop appreciating the beauty. And now, because of this, I guess, new policy I have, I don't think I spend more money or buy more things. I buy fewer things and I might spend less money.
0: It's removing this inner scarcity, judge, whatever that filtering system is. It creates a lot more space to appreciate beauty and live and the flow, that's that's how I feel.
1: And get the right match. You went. Yeah. I went to the clothing store yesterday, and I tried, there's this one brand that I'm obsessed with right now, Ironheart. Uh, it's this Japanese brand, of, they make jeans. And I went to the store, and I tried something on at the store, it was like a shirt. And like, oh, this is a very expensive shirt. I'm like, okay, I just wanted to try it on. So I tried it on.
0: That's the conversation in your head?
1: But What conversation? back and forth. No, the guy at the store said, this is an expensive shirt. (laughs) I said, okay. I mean, this store is kind of expensive. but So I walk into the dressing room and I put it on. I'm like, oh, look, I love this material. And I like the way this looks. Then I looked and I said, yeah, but it's not perfect. And the guy's like, oh, okay, I understand. You know, it's expensive. So I'm like, no, it's not about that. He said, it's not perfect. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, if you gave this to me for free right now, I wouldn't take it.
0: By perfect, you mean not a match.
1: It's not a match. I'm like, uh, he's like, oh really? I'm like, yeah. What am I gonna do with this? And uh, it just goes to show that there's the the price that doesn't mean that's what it's worth to me. That means that that's what they're asking, and I'm sure to someone it would be worth mm-hmm. that much. But to me, if you gave me five dollars to take it, I also wouldn't take it. That's it. Just because it doesn't feel
0: right. So switching onto what does feel right. What are some things that you're excited about now that you want to share with everyone listening and what's next after the 11 days of daily art updates?
1: Well, I'm thinking I'm going to the past for a second. I'm thinking back to crystal criminals. One of the things I loved about crystal criminals was how many people got involved in the community and people asking questions and so engaged. Yeah. And how we did build it up to over 9,000 followers and, it wasn't that the 9,000 were like trying to get lots and lots of followers, but I just looked at the followers as a measurement of people's interest in the engagement and the inspiration that we caused. Now, of course, you could be very, you know, you could have great content and still people won't follow you. Of course, there's all sorts of things that are out of the control, but there was such an awesome energy to what we were doing. It makes me think, like, I would love to grow my following on Instagram and TikTok right now because whatever you've done on i say you whatever we've done on tiktok we, i would have had like 90 followers or something like that you had
0: about 19 you're about to hit 500
1: right and it's not like something special happens when i hit 500 or anything like that what it just means is that i'm reaching people that i wasn't going to reach before and what was so awesome about crystal criminals is like when People got exposed to the work. They're like, I like this. I'm enjoying it. I felt like I was. there was an exchange going on. There was, like I was channeling the energy that I have that I just need to create into a thing. And then that thing was inspiring other people and causing them to take action. That felt so powerful. That was the thing that was most awesome. That's why I want views on a video. Isn't because I like to say, I call my mother. I'm like, mom, did you know this video at 38 Thousand point, 38.4 thousand views. No, it's. I know that if it got a lot of views, then it had to have inspired people, mm. and so that is what I want to do with the artwork. We did talk about for a second, I think we could wrap up right now. I got one more message to say, which was Please do. I wanted to. there's a point we talked about a lot of different careers. You remember, first, it was a doctor then it was an artist, then it was a dentist, then it was an artist, then it was a teacher, then it was a real estate agent, then it was a marketing guy, and then now it's an entrepreneur. I've gone through all those different play- phases, but there was this moment when I was volunteering at the dental center, at NYU Dental Center, and this woman walked in. She was like an angel in the sense that she was there to bring a message. And She walked in, she sat on one of the uh, dental assistant, sorry, the dental student, chairs where they get like you know a discounted dental treatments because the you know the students are learning and then the the dental student walked away and so it was just me and this woman she was in the chair i was standing on the side like assisting felt like i was mostly just creeping and handing (laughs) handing like a toothbrush over but um so she turns and she looks at me and she goes i didn't say anything to her anything she looks at me and she smiles and she goes so you really want to be a dentist? (laughs) I looked back at her and I said, no, I don't. And I walked out and I never came back. (laughs) And it was a beautiful thing about like receiving the message through other people. And, you know, sometimes these things come in interesting places. And how did that relate to what we're talking about right now again?
0: What comes to mind is that there's always messages that wanna come through to us, whether that's through another human or another type of being that is disguised as a human or a voice in a meditation or an animal that you see. I actually had something so crazy happen the other day. I still can't believe it. There was a bird that flew into one of our windows and died. And
1: it broke your heart.
0: It really broke my heart. It was so sad. It was such a beautiful bird. And then that's never happened to us. We've been here for almost three years. And so that same day I had a call with two of my close girlfriends and I was sharing about this experience. And I said, you know, I've been really called to send out an email to my news, uh, you know, email subscribers. For months now, I've been saying I'll do it. <laughs> this is a good one. And I have going been going through this process of integration of all of my different accounts on social media, email, to truly communicate in one way and trust this one thread of nourishment and rituals and creativity and courage that runs through everything I do. And somehow it's felt really scary to send out that email to my whole list of 10,000 people. That is not just Breakfast Criminals, or that is not just my podcast or my social media list, but everyone, because all these topics are still very much alive in me. And so on that call as a joke, I think to kind of just prevent myself from Being even more sad, I said that, you know what, I'm just going to send out that email today, and what's going to motivate me is this made-up thought that more birds will keep dying until I do. And we kind of all laughed, and then that evening, you and I are sitting on the couch and watching Narcos, and guess what? There's another bird that flies into the window in one day and that's never happened before, ever. And I get really worried. You tell me not to go out there and look at it because we can't handle another death right now. And I kept hearing it banging and flying around. So I went out there with a flashlight and what I saw is this scene of a bird circling around, the dead bird. And banging into the window, circling and banging, circling and banging. And I got really worried about it. And I immediately looked up if birds go through the process of grief when they lose their partner or their mate. And guess what? They do. And so I turned off the light outside. I sent out my blessings to the birds, I, you know, to the one that was in distress. I sent it some love. And then the next day I buried the Dead bird, and I you sent really out- did.
1: You really you, did. You asked me where the shovel was.
0: Yeah, I did. And I sent out the email, ripped off that Band-Aid, and, and that's done. But when I heard that bang in the window, I was like, there's no way. There's no way in the world that in one day after I said that this is going to be my sign, this happens.
1: Well, I'm glad you said dead birds and not anything else. I know. So I did remember the thread about wrapping up, by the way. So this is the thing that I that I really have observed and appreciated, which was I remember one of the things that when I wanted to be a doctor that was really scary for me was like the spending the 12 years of pre-doctorhood before you're like on your own, essentially, like the medical school plus the residency and the fellowship. But the other part that really got me was all the stuff that you had to do in order to even get into medical school. Cause that's where I was really. I never got into medical school or applied. I stopped right before, but it was, you know, I I spent an entire summer doing research at a lab uh, just because it was supposed to look good or you had to do it. Or I took all of these classes Top of what I needed to like, I took biochemistry in my senior year because it was a class that looked really good, graduate level class. I remember thinking, as I was taking that class, like I don't even want to be a doctor, but I also like don't, but I also because I had already been done, but I don't want to give up all the stuff I had already done. So essentially, I was in this class I didn't want to be in to do something I didn't want to do because it was a requirement in case I changed my mind, (laughs) and it felt so ridiculous and. (laughs) And then one of the things I love about marketing so much is that there's no prerequisite. It's also beautiful about real estate too, is that marketing is like, are you going to do the job or you're not going to do the job? I don't care like what you've done already so far. There's no, the the barrier to entry, the superficialness Mm -hmm. is like, it's not there. And that's the thing about art that always stopped me from like building more of an art career up was this, Uh, old boys club and art and like Mm. this like being in or being out and I think that's changing right now especially with you know crypto NFT type stuff Um, but I think it's changing in the sense that for me because I won't do it I won't go to the, uh, st- you know, research in a lab for six weeks in my summertime anymore. They're like, oh, you need a resume with how much you sold and all the places you've exhibited and all this. And I'm like, and it hit me as soon as I got this email, like this is how people typically present to a gallery. I said to myself, I'm not doing that.
0: I actually would love you to speak a little bit more to that example because it was freaking powerful. And all of the possibilities are there, going the old linear way or going the new, nonlinear, fun, joyful, creative way, they always coexist. It just depends which possibility you believe is possible for you and what actions you take in accordance with that and coherence with that. And so what happened is that you got connected to an art dealer, you send him all your work. You know, it took you weeks, if not months, to like put it together. To, well, to
1: gather the courage.
0: To gather the courage <laughs> to send the pictures, to have a piece finished, and yeah, yeah, send. You even didn't even let me read the email because it probably felt really vulnerable.
1: Yeah. And the guy who responded was so sweet too. Oh my god, he's so nice.
0: He was very sweet, and there was this very linear process invitation within it saying listen this work is not for this gallery not for our client and if you want to keep sending your work around this is the kind of the format you need to follow how many sales you've had in the past year what galleries you've shown what's your average sale whatever those things were yeah and i i could feel you i felt it myself when we Mm. both read it it was just like this invitation into the old paradigm and we were like no we're not doing that And we don't have to we are going to create a whole new way that actually feels in coherence with how we co-create in this world
1: yeah and that felt like social media was the access to that which is one of the things that inspired me to actually do the 11 day challenge in the first place i remember it wasn't that now this guy said he'd been in that world for 10 years because he retired and then got to become an art dealer but he said, yeah, this is how it works. And I realized, yeah, for him, that's how he's chosen to engage in this world and it has worked for him. But for me, I won't do it. And part of me is like, I'm a rebel or I'm stubborn. Definitely you are too. You are a rebel and you're stubborn. You don't want to do it that way. You don't want to be told what to do, um, which you know, of course works with and against us. <laughs> but I remember thinking to myself, I'm so confident. That same thought I had about my business, it's not a question of if it's going to happen. It's a question, it's it's just what do I want to create? I had that in my business. And I thought to myself at that moment, I was like, in my artwork, this shall be. So I thought, this shall be. I don't know how it shall, <laughs> but I know that it will be. And I know I'm not going to like come up with this. And I know that once we follow this, whatever we're doing right now, I don't know exactly what it is, but how I'm creating and promoting, sharing and not promoting, sharing and creating, that if somebody was like, hey, I just need you to give me, um, you know, that thing that you're supposed to give when you submit, I'm like, oh, okay, sure. And I could just type it up into like a couple sentences. Like I did sell this and I did this and I did exhibit here, but it won't be because I'm trying to set it up. Mm-hmm. It'll be because it'll be a natural function of like, what a career looks like when it's more success, mm. when it's gotten like uh, success, so to mm-hmm. speak. Yeah. So I'm excited about creating that. And I think, well, I, I'm just really lucky to have you doing this creation, uh, creating the content, curating the content. It makes it, it takes a huge amount of pressure because it's really, I don't want to say it's hard to be an artist. Every, when I speak to other artists, what everyone says is creating the art is the absolute easiest thing to do. <laughs> it's for me. It might be the hardest thing to do in terms of like heart rate and manual labor, <laughs> and like going to the store, picking it up, and dropping it off, and the hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of folding. Whatever. I we'll love every minute. I love every minute of it. It's easy in the sense that it's effortless. For whenever I talk to artists, the things they always say, it's like, oh my god, the marketing side of the business, mm-hmm. because essentially you need to like disconnect from all the emotion and energy you put in here, and then you need to like as an outside voice communicate what that is and speak about it it's not a natural thing for almost anyone and so that part of the business takes you know, requires a different kind of you know left right brain type stuff and it's hard to transition between those two things it's very i'm a marketer and it's very hard to be a good marketer in fact many people who are good marketers are good at marketing themselves but they're not good at marketing the clients that they were hired to market <laughs> like so that's one thing that's also happened so f- just think about it in terms of being an artist you know making art requires so much energy and then becoming a marketer and successfully sharing that work also takes something so i feel like if i didn't have you to do this stuff for me what i would do is i'd probably start smaller like you said and just maybe make like a 30 second video or maybe start with 60 seconds and then move down to 30 or
0: just a photo even. yeah or
1: just a photo because you i you gotta start somewhere and that that's the thing that and keep, commit yeah. to
0: that consistency of showing up no matter how many views you get no matter how many comments you get just show up and show up and so much gets revealed to you in that process
1: i think so much gets revealed to you in that process and
0: <laughs> do you have any Other final messages to share before we wrap up?
1: Yeah. We went shopping at the grocery store for all sorts of snacks and stuff. And I just can't eat any of them. I keep on finding this. Like all the, I love desserts and stuff like that and cookies. And I just, I can't find any of the ones that I want. I can't eat. Do you know what I'm talking about?
0: Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. And what I think is happening is that we're not actually hungry. There's just a desire for snacks.
1: But I don't want to eat the snacks when I am hungry. Okay. I so you're
0: you're asking for snack recommendations?
1: No, I think what's happening is that God is doing for me what I not do for myself and freeing me from the bondage of sugar. Why? Right. I don't know why that's the message is probably a message for somebody out there because i know nobody is into sugar (laughs) out here in the world especially those really healthy people you don't like sugar either do you (laughs) i when i when i had my first akashic record uh records reading ever they said like there's a life lesson for you that like this is your life lesson now they say you could complete this life lesson in this lifetime and then you'll have another lesson but mine was Temperance, which I remember when I got that life lesson, I was, like, I was like, oh, I can't wait to hear my life lesson. I bet it's gonna be awesome. And they're like, your life lesson is temperance. I'm <laughs> like, are you serious? This is like the lamest life lesson. It's like patience. <laughs> right?
0: mm-hmm. I find Isn't that it, to be the hardest lesson too.
1: Right, well, patience is something that I have l- developed in in business because if I'm not patient, I'm not successful. So I have tons of patience in that, and it's also something I've developed in our work because I know that if I don't fold this paper right, if I don't fold a lot of them, I'll just I won't be able to build upon each block. So I have developed patience. To me, that that is actually not something that was hard, is hard anymore. As a kid, man, was that tough. But when it comes to the temperance, it's like you know middle of the road type thing, right? Not too much, not too little. Don't swear this, you know that has been something that has been a very good lesson for me i know i'm on it and i know that it's like definitely a great lesson and i hope i'm almost done with it though
0: cheers to that let's go find some snacks
1: i do want how about those chips
0: (laughs) i think i want grapes thank you everyone for tuning in if You feel called to look Eric's work up. It's Eric Brief on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube, on all the platforms. And as always, I would love to hear what you took away from this, what moved you, what inspired you, what made you remember a knowing that's already within you. Have a beautiful rest of your morning, day or evening, and you'll hear from me next week. If you're moved by what was shared in this episode and not sure how to take action, start by writing it down. When we notice abundance and clarity in all shapes and forms and honor it, it grows. And if you're called to share the podcast with someone who you know is ready to receive it, follow that. Find all episodes, show notes, and current offerings on XeniaBrief.com. Subscribe to Xenia Brief Podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a review, and take one deep breath into the knowing that's already within you.